Hey everyone and welcome to SermonCast, a Cheyenne Hills podcast where you can find the message portion of our services each week. We hope this gives you the opportunity to better digest the teaching portion of our services, whether listening to them again or hearing them for the first time. <laughs> oh, my Katie doesn't need to rehearse. Oh, 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 I'm kidding. Uh, yes, I do realize that rehearsal is important. Yes, I see. I just didn't know Katie was supposed to be there. Oh, for some reason, it just didn't get on my calendar. You know, I am at work, so I will, um, I will call her dad and see if he can drop her off. Mm. It was such a busy time. Joseph was expanding his business, and our firstborn was so cute and chubby. I remember this. We were in the shop. I love the earthy smell of sawdust and linseed oil. I had set Jesus down because he was just so heavy. Joseph was showing me a design for a new table, and then we heard a squeal. Jesus had taken his first steps right there in the sawdust, trying to grab the dog's tail. Can you drop off Katie at the dance place at four, pick up Chick-fil-A for dinner, we'll finish my report, and be home. Mom was so chaotic as his younger brothers and sisters came along. Joseph had to build a bigger table just to fit our crazy crew. After dinner, the younger boys would jump on Jesus, wanting to wrestle with their big brother. One time, I heard a big crash, so I'd come around the corner to see that table wobbling on three legs. Who did this? James piped up. I would blame Jesus, but you won't believe me because he's perfect. <laughs> so I grounded them all. Oh, I have to get Josh and Jimmy off to wrestling practice before they destroy the house. Let's see, when is their wrestling match? Oh, I don't need another surprise. Let's get this calendar organized. Tuesday, an early meeting at work, then a meeting to talk about the meeting, then a lunch meeting and a meeting after lunch. Oh, I could probably ditch this meeting so I could squeeze in and run before the match. Oh, adulting is a big job. I had one job, raising the Son of God, and I lost him. In the chaos of packing for our trip to Nazareth, I lost Jesus. I had never been so panicked in my entire life. A 12-year-old boy, who could keep an eye on? Obviously not me. Three days later, we found him in the temple with the teachers talking about scripture. I was so upset. What were you thinking, Jesus? And he said, why wouldn't I be in my father's house? All the way back to Nazareth, I kept asking God, what does this mean? E-R-W-A-A. E-R-W-A-A. Aware! Woohoo! I may be struggling to keep life organized, but I am winning at Wordle. Aware. Interesting. To be watchful, to be alert, to know. How ironic. 
I am anything but aware. Why, with all the distractions of life, work, family, world events, fights on social media, I feel like I'm zooming through life unconsciously. Oh, I am awake, but I am not aware. I just can't seem to think clearly, and my soul is worn out. These distractions, they keep me disconnected from God. I know my heart needs to hear from God. What's my purpose? As we would prepare for the Sabbath, my mother would talk about the mighty acts of God. And I would eavesdrop as my father talked about the ancient scriptures with the other leaders of the church. And in the early mornings, I began to discuss things with God. What are you doing in the world? What's your purpose for me? I'm so busy and stressed all the time. I can't see what God's doing in my life or even in the world. Josh, my oldest, was asking me the other day if we were headed for a global war. How was I to assure him when I was scared? I was blown away. It's not every day that you talk to an angel. It's not every day that your purpose is laid out before you. I was pregnant with the Son of God. I was nervous, but I was confident that God would guide me because it was foretold. How does one hear from God? Is there an app for that? Some of my friends are just as frustrated and confused as I am. I want to know my purpose. I want to know what the future will be. I had heard about God's miracles and the coming Messiah and the ancient scriptures. I was excited to see what God would do through me, through my child, through Joseph. Little did I know that enduring the ridicule of an unmarried pregnancy and having Jesus would be the easiest part. Life has been so hard and complex these past few years. I've been zooming through life and I am tired and I'm worn out and I've been running towards Christmas and now I just need a space for quiet, for a touch from God to carry me forward. How did Mary so courageously live her calling? Did Mary know what was going to happen to her or her baby Jesus? I can't believe it's been two years since my son was crucified. I saw the blood running down his face. The face of my beautiful baby. The face that I kissed. I watched as his body struggled to breathe. And I wept and I grieved until I thought my heart would stop. Did I know? I had no idea how to raise the Son of God. I thought about God's promises and I prayed for wisdom and I did my best. 
Did I know what was going to happen? I didn't know Jesus would walk on water. I didn't know about healing a blind man. I did know that Jesus would help a lot of people. And I didn't know that the baby I birthed would save my soul and give me eternal life.
I think it's a wonderful question. You know, what did Mary know and where did, when did she know it? Did she know when she was holding that little baby and kissed the, that little baby, she kissed the face of God? I, I think that's pretty likely. Did she know that the, the baby she was about to deliver would someday deliver her? Uh, not sure if she knew that. But here's what I do know about Mary. She had a belief. She had a pure and simple belief. And there's something about that belief that I, I want to translate to you even this afternoon, because I think it's an important piece of her story. Angel Gabriel appears to her. She asks some questions, and, and the angel said, this is what's going to happen to you. You're going to give birth to a son, and who's going to be great? He's son of the Most High. And she asked some clarifying questions. How is this to be? And he gave her an answer. And her, and her answer back to the angel Gabriel was this. Let it be to me, as you have said. Simple, plain, straightforward. Let it be to me. Now, that same angel, several months earlier, appeared to Zechariah, high priest in the temple. He was serving as high priest when the angel appeared to him, and, and Gabriel said, told him that he and his wife, Elizabeth, would have a baby, a son. His name was John. It would be John the Baptist, the forerunner of Christ. But his response was a little bit different. He was older, his wife was older, and he asked those questions. Well, what about... We're kind of old. How's this going to be? And Gabriel answered him and he said, the re because of your unbelief, you're going to be mute until this baby is born. Now, just to, on face value, you'd look at it and you think, wow, there doesn't seem to be that much difference. He just asked a question. But I think he asked the question, it was more like, wait, What? I, I, I'm too old. My wife's too old. You, do you know what you're saying? It was met with unbelief. And there's a consequence for that. That same angel appeared to Mary and it was met with this simple, let it be to me as you've said. I think that simple belief is crucial for, for you and me today. I think it's something that you and I can learn from. Because I think if you want to have hope, We've been talking about this series is about things that are foretold, things that are prophesied. And if you can grasp the things that are prophesied in Scripture, it's going to give you hope. If you can have this simple, Mary-type belief. But I can, I've also seen people that look at prophecy and they wait, 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 what? I don't, I don't. And I will tell you, they don't have hope. I've seen people that have see Christ as the high priest and he is, he's uh, stood in the gap for them and they just simply believe and they have this peace about them. And there's people that say, wait, what? I don't get all this stuff. I'm not sure if I buy into all this stuff about Jesus of Nazareth. And I can tell you they have, they have less peace. I've seen people who have embraced the baby, the child, as the one born king. And it, it just gives them a sense of joy. And those that don't have this hope in this one born king, they struggle with joy. Today I want to go through those processes because I think it's important. And especially the one that's really 
made an impact is this idea of being what's foretold. And if we can understand what's foretold, the things that were prophesied, I think it will give us a better idea of maybe even our future and some of the hope that we, you and I can have. I'd like to start this story. It's right after the, re- the resurrection. There's some disciples that are headed on the, out of town from Jerusalem on the way to Emmaus. They've seen the whole thing. They've basically said, I've had enough. And they're heading out of town. Now Jesus, the resurrected Christ, catches up with them. They don't recognize him. He starts walking along the side with them. And he asks them this kind of a crazy question in Luke chapter 24. And I'm going to start reading in verse 18. He says, he asked some questions and they said, are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened these last few days? In other words, everybody knows. How can you not know? And he said to them, this is Jesus. He said to them, what things? And they said, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deeds. He was a prophet. The disciples knew this. They knew he's a prophet, mighty in deeds. And in word before God and all the people. And how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he would be the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some of our women accompanying us amazed us. They, they went to the tomb early in the morning and they, when they did, they found they did not find his body. They came back saying that he was, they had a vision from angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they didn't see him. And he said to them, this is Jesus speaking now. He said, you, oh foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe. Foolish ones, slow of heart to believe all the things the prophets had spoken and Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer all these things and enter into glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. He went back to to Moses, he went back to the prophets and explained to these guys those prophecies. Because they had lost hope and he needed to give them hope and they needed to have hope in the fact that they, these things were prophesied. They happened just like they said they would happen. And then their eyes were open and they realized this was Jesus and he vanished from their sight. And they said, we're not our hearts burning within us. And they sprinted, I think, back to Jerusalem to say, we've seen him. I think it's fascinating, this prophecy. This book is 27% prophecy. I don't know who went and counted all the verses, but 27% of it, that's a lot. No other religious book is, has prophecy. This is 27% prophecy, so we at least ought to look into it. Try to understand it the best we possibly can. Now, a lot of those prophecies were fulfilled in Christ at his first advent. Some of those prophecies are going to be fulfilled in Christ when his second coming. Some of those prophecies are being fulfilled now as we speak. I'm going to try to point these out. Let's start with the ones that have been fulfilled in Christ. Born of a virgin, Check. Um, line of David, check. Tribe of Judah, uh, born in Bethlehem, check, check, check. Right? All those things happen. Those were all prophesied hundreds of years before. Suffering servant, heal the sick, shepherd of Israel, would be would be um, uh, betrayed by a friend, be betrayed by thirty pieces of silver. They would cast lots for his garments while he was being 
crucified, check, check, check. Happened just like he said. His bones would not be broken. His side would be pierced. Check, check. Buried in a rich man's grave. Check. Raised on the third day. Check. A lot, all, many of these prophecies that have been prophesied hundreds of years before fulfilled in Christ. And we can see them plainly. I just went off the top of my head. And there's more. There's more prophecies to come. And I think the better we understand the prophecies that were fulfilled and how perfectly they were fulfilled, it gives us more hope of future prophecies and how they would be fulfilled. And it's going to take this simple, basic kind of belief. Because if, if you go, if you approach prophecy with, wait, what? It's not going to produce any hope in your heart. For example, the next things that are to happen. The Bible talks about a, a one world leader. It talks about a world economy, mark of the beast, one world government, world religion. Any of this ringing true these days? Anybody looking down the road, wondering about some of this stuff? The Bible talks about these things. He's already given us a roadmap of what's going to happen. Some people look at the future and they say, well, look in the news and they look at our day and they say, well, things are falling apart. If you believe in prophecy and you have a good firm understanding of it and kind of have a basic childlike belief in the fact that it's true, it's not falling apart, it's falling into place. And it gives you hope that God knows what's going on. And he knows where we're going, the second coming of Jesus Christ. He's going to judge the quick and the dead. And he's going to, there'll be this valley of Jehoshaphat where they'll separate the sheep from the goats as separate the people as, as one shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he'll rule and reign from Jerusalem for a thousand years. And then Satan will be released. These are all prophecy. Then he'll be bound and then the great white throne judgment and then new heaven and new earth. Now, if you approach those things with, wait, What? I guarantee you, it's not going to produce any kind of hope in your life. But if you can embrace that, embrace this as, you know what? All these prophecies were fulfilled perfectly to the letter. It just might be that these prophecies in the future could give you great hope. But there's some prophecies that are going on right now that are being fulfilled right now, and it's almost as if there's this neon sign, and God is just saying, you know, flash, 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 look at this. It's almost like the Emmaus Road experience, when the disciples were walking along the Emmaus Road, and they just lost hope, right? And Jesus had to come along beside them in the flesh, even though they didn't recognize him, and, and point out all the prophecies, and say, guys, this is how I told you would happen. Here's what Moses said. Here's what this prophet said. Here's what this prophet said. And they finally got it. I'm going to read from Ezekiel. Ezekiel 36, 37, and 38 are the chapters that I'm going to be referring to. You can go read them later if you like, but I'm going to start Ezekiel chapter 36. Let's get this on the screen because this is a prophecy that is being fulfilled in our day. But you, O mountains of Israel, shall shoot forth your branches and yield your fruit to my people Israel, for they will soon come home. For behold, I am for you, and I will turn you, and you shall be tilled and sown, and I will multiply people on you, the whole house of Israel, all of it. The city shall be inhabited, and the waste places rebuilt, and I will multiply you, man and beast, and they shall multiply and be fruitful, and I will cause you to be uh, inhabited as 
as in former times, and you will do more good and will do more good to you than ever before. Then you will know that I am the Lord. I'm going to take you back. Passion week. Jesus walking through the temple area with his disciples. This is the last week that he spent on earth. And he told his disciples, you see all these things? I tell you, not one of them will be left on another. Every one of them will be thrown down. That's prophesied. 30 some years later, Titus came from Rome besieged Jerusalem, destroyed the city and the people in it and destroyed the temple. Prophecy fulfilled. Check. Just like Jesus had said it would happen, it happened 30 some years later. Now, some people say, well, I'm, I'm not sure if I really buy into this whole thing that Jesus, okay, so let's go to Rome. This is the Titus gate. They built this gate for Titus. Because of the Jew, the Jewish Roman wars and the things that took place in that first and early second century. And how Jerusalem was destroyed. And you can see the, this panel here on the, on the right side. That is the panel that's inside the Titus Gate. If it's just, it's just zoomed in. And it shows a menorah. It shows some showbread. It shows some other items that come from the temple. Basically what this is saying is, this is like capture the flag and showing the flag. We captured Jerusalem. We captured the temple. Here's the loot. And they built a gate. That gate, that Titus gate, leads the way to the Colosseum. Even today, you can go see it. Fulfilled just as Jesus had said. Now, from the time that Titus destroyed Jerusalem and Israel and the people in it and the land, it became more and more desolate. Until 1867, we finally have a really good some input from a guy that we know as Mark Twain. He went over to visit Israel. And this is what he said. This is what he saw. A desolate country whose soil is rich enough, but is given over to holy, to holy to weeds. A silent, mournful expanse, a desolation. We never saw a human being on the whole route, hardly a tree or shrub anywhere. Even the olive tree and the cactus, those fast friends of worthless soil, had almost deserted the country, Mark Twain. This is the place that was desolate. And God said, Jesus said, you see all these things are going to be thrown down. By the way, that was prophesied in Daniel chapter 9, verse 26. That the, the prince of, the, of the, the one who is to come would come and destroy this city and, 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 uh, and, his, and his temple. It's prophesied. It happened. It's almost as like what Jesus was trying to do back in that day with the disciples. I'm trying to say, guys, this was prophesied. This happened. This prophesied and this happened. This place was desolate. And yet, in Ezekiel 36, it says this place is going to be blooming like a garden. Ezekiel 37, those dry bones are going to come back. And there's going to be some rulers that are going to raise up against Israel. Is any of those things happening today? 1948, after World War II, Israel became a nation. Partially because the Brits had inherited it after World War I. They said, you know what, this is a desolate land. We really don't want it. And the Jews need a place to go after World War II, so here's, our, here's your land. And they came in by the boatloads. And guess what? They started tilling the soil. 
And guess what? They figured out this incredible way of a dripper system. And there's a dripper system throughout Israel now. It's the most amazing thing. If you're in agriculture, if you would just get on a bus and go on a plane first and then a bus, go see where I've seen. It's just like, I can't believe this is growing. The agriculture in this in this country, it was desolate, according to Mark Twain in 1867. Today, blooming like a garden on the left. That's the Jezreel Valley. That's the Valley of Megiddo, the Valley of Armageddon. Drop, dead, gorgeous, irrigated, fertile, massive land. Probably 70 miles long, probably 8 to 10 miles wide. Fruitful, bountiful place. The other on the right, this is what you see as you travel from basically the Sea of Galilee all the way down to the Dead Sea. On one side, very dry, arid desert mountains. On the other side, dry desert mountains. This valley, for about 100 miles and maybe five miles wide, you see these, these uh, kind of canvas uh, type uh, huts that have tomatoes and they, they grow I mean, every kind of vegetable, every kind of fruit, every kind of plant, all up and down that whole area. The place is blooming like a garden. And it's almost as God trying to say, guys, look at this. It's happening in our day. And I will tell you, there's a whole bunch of people that look at it. A bunch of Christian people look at it and think, "Uh, so what's the big deal? Wait, I I don't really believe all these things. And I think it's a, I think it's a neon sign showing what God has done in Ezekiel 36. It was prophesied. It's happening in our day. People are coming back to the land. As of, you know, I told you after World War II people, and they've been streaming back, streaming back, streaming back. In 2020, after COVID, there are a lot of Ethiopian Jews that came back to the land. By the plane loads, they came back. A bunch of New York Jews sold out and said, went back to the land of Israel. A bunch of Jews from the north as well. Since this Ukraine-Russian war, many of Jewish Ukrainians have come back to the land, actually by the plane loads. I remember one time we were in Bethlehem. We were coming out of Bethlehem, and when you come out in the, the front of the bus, you could actually see the whole West Bank, or at least the ridge of the West Bank. And the West Bank, if you remember, we had a president, President Obama, that told Netanyahu to say, hey, stop building on the West Bank. And I got on the microphone and I said, I just want you guys to look out the front of the window here because what you see all along here, and there were cranes. I mean, as far as your eye can see, those big, massive construction cranes building housing. And it's like, uh, I think this was Benjamin Netanyahu's, Yahoo, sorry, um, answer to our president's request not to build on the West Bank. Massive building. And you know what? I, I think I'm wrong about that. I don't think it was Netanyahu's answer. I think it was God's answer. Is I want to bring my people back home. Did you see that? Ezekiel 36? He's bringing them home. It's a neon sign. The place is filled with people. It's green and growing like a garden. And it was desolate in 1867. I think it's prophecy fulfilled in our day. They say there will be some rulers that will raise up. There was Rosh, uh, Persia, Meshach, Tabul, Gomer, uh, um, uh, Put, and Cush. Those are old school names. We don't know what those names are. But that today we call those names Russia and Iran and Turkey. Possibly, we don't know who Gomer is, possibly Germany, I'm not sure. Libya. And these people, and, and Sudan, and these people are actually talking together. Is it possible? 
that those rulers will come together like a storm cloud brewing? People are still watching that one because Ezekiel 36, check. Ezekiel 37, check. Ezekiel 38, if that one's coming, guys, that's how close are we to the end? I don't know. I, don't, I really don't know. I'm not, I'm not in the job of guessing. I'm in the job of saying there's stuff happening, prophecy happening in our day. And if you understand it, you'll see that the world is not falling apart. It's falling into place. If you understand prophecy. The second one is Christ as priest. This is the one that is amazing to me. This Christ as priest. The high priest is the one that stood before God and he sprinkled the blood of the lamb on the mercy seat on the day of atonement so that God and man could fellowship together. Man's sin could be covered for one year. That's what the high, that's the priest did. That's what the, specifically what the high priest did. Jesus, it says in Hebrews chapter four, is our high priest. Not one that can't relate to us. He, he can relate to us. He was tempted as we were, but yet without sin. He was the perfect high priest, but he was also more than just a high priest. Because the blood that he supplied was his own blood. He was the Lamb of God, and he was the great high priest, and he was that brought that together and made it possible for God and man to have fellowship together. And in that blood that he was shed before, before God, it propitiated, it snuffed out the wrath that God has towards sin. That's one of the things that Christ's sacrifice did for us. The other thing that Christ sacrificed, it redeemed us. In his, with his blood, he bought us back. You see, we're born, we're born into sin, which is Adam. Thank you very much, Adam. And we're all born into this sin, this prison cell, if you will. Shackled, gate locked. And Christ came and he unlocked that gate and he set the, the prisoners free and he purchased us back. Now, he didn't, he didn't make it, he didn't, he didn't make you get out of that cell. In fact, I think Satan has done a really good job of convincing people just stay put. The entertainment's great down here. Stay in the prison cell. This is more fun than being out there. And I think he's given some of us, all of us actually, the, the message and the ministry of reconciliation. And he reconciled, in Christ, God was reconciling people back to himself. And he gave us the ministry of reconciliation so that people like me and friends in your neighborhood and friends from your church come to you and say, guys, uh, you need to be reconciled back to God. See, we're born into this sin. And some people say, wait, what? I'm a good guy. I'm a, I'm a good gal. I do good stuff. I've never done any bad stuff. How you can say I'm born into sin? The Bible says you're born into sin. And the only way that you can have this sin covered is the, is the righteous one, the holy one before God. Uh, Christ is God in the flesh who took that sin from us and he's made it possible for you and I to step out of this cell. I'm going to come back to that cell. Keep that in mind because that's Huge. And the more that you understand what the great high priest has done for us, and if you've received this with this simple kind of faith, let it be to me, as you have said. You say, I'm a sinner. Okay, I get it. You say, I need a Savior. Okay, I need a Savior. Simple faith. And if you've done that, if you accept that simple faith, we tell you, that's, that's where the peace is. If you don't have peace, we'll come back to this cell. My favorite prophet, priest, is that he was king. 
Matthew chapter 2, we have these wise men, these magi. We don't really know that much about the magi. Um, people make stuff up because we don't know stuff about them, right? We're just like, we know they're from the east. They, they had expensive gifts. So we say they're kings. We say they're whatever. They're, they, were, they were from the east. They might have been from Babylon. They could have lived in Susa. They could live someplace in Iran. We don't know for sure. But whatever they saw in the sky, they realized that that was the star of Messiah, and whatever they saw, it caused them to get on their camels or their horses and ride. Months. They were a long way from Jerusalem. When they saw the star, they set out. And when they came to Jerusalem, their message, this is one of my favorite, in Matthew chapter 2, it's one of my favorite passages. They walked into Jerusalem, maybe on their entourage. I got them pictured in camels because that's what's in my nativity set. And so I got them pictured coming in on camels. This entourage, you know, you could put some Aladdin music to it if you wanted to. Just come, coming in. And here is their message. Here's their question. Where is he who was born king? We saw a star while we were in the east, and we've come to worship him. Oh, my gosh. Months on the road. And they didn't lose that passion when they walked into those gates. Was, Where is he? You see, Jesus fulfilled the role of prophet. He, he became this high priest. He was born king. I think it's awesome. People are celebrating Christmas all around this globe. Gatherings like this, bigger than this, smaller than this, gatherings. Because one was born king. You know, you're not that much different than the wise men. The wise men had to, when they, when they set out, they set off across country. They had to overcome heat. They had to overcome possible thieves out there to be robbed. They had to overcome financial risk. You're kind of like that. To come here tonight, just think about it. To come here tonight, you had to risk, you had to risk parking. I'm sorry about that, by the way. You had to risk sitting for an hour with sinners. Check. You had to listen to a pastor do the very thing that you hate the most. He talked about money within the first minute of the doggone service. Check. But you know, that this didn't seem like the, the Magi cared about any of their struggles because when that star appeared again, they went and worshiped him. And they went home a different way. Like God told them in a dream, go home a different way. Don't go back to Herod. Go, go home a different way. Listen, if you, if you can come to worship the king today, you're going to go home different. I want to take you back to that cell. Some of you have, you've heard this story before and you've maybe kind of played the, wait, what? I, I don't think I'm that much of a sinner. I don't think I really need a savior. I don't really believe this whole... God, Jesus thing, or he's the only way kind of deal. Probably not going to convince you in this short amount of time. But there's some of you that maybe could have that simple faith. That's a, that simple kind of merry kind of faith that says, let it, let it be to me as you've said. 
I was born into sin. Okay, I'll accept that. Jesus died for my sin so that I could live with him. I, I can accept that. You know, if, if I could, I promise you guys, I would take, if I could somehow take salvation and stick it in everyone's pocket or everyone's purse as they left, I would do it. I can't, I can't do that. You've got to choose to come out of that cell. You've got to choose and say, okay, I, I get it. I'm going to step out and live and worship the one born king. Some of, you need to, some of you need to pray with me right now. Would you close your eyes? Would you bow your head and just listen to my voice just real quick? Because I want more than anything, you receive a gift tonight and you go home as wise men and wise women in a different way, a different route. I mean, a simple... The simple belief, almost a Mary type belief. When God says we're born into sin, you simply just say, I, Lord, I, I, I understand that I'm born into sin and I, I get it, I'm a sinner. And I, I believe that, that Jesus, the high priest, shed his blood and set me free the bondage of sin and death. And I believe that. Simple faith, just believe that. And, and today, Lord, I want to worship, maybe in a brand new way. I want, to, I want him to be my savior. I want him to be my king. I want to worship the one born king. Lord, for anybody that prayed that prayer, I pray that they sent your, you stepped out of heaven and into their heart. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Just kind of keep in this one little spot right here. Don't move too much. We're going to, this next song, they're going to come out and they're going to sing a song. And during that song, sometime during that song, the ushers are going to come and they're going to take an offering. And I'm going to ask you again, I'm going to ask you to give, I know that you hate this, some of you. It's like, ah, it's like fingernails, chalkboard. But listen, I want you to give boldly to Life Choice Pregnancy Care Center. This is a great ministry. Every dime that's taken in this room, in those bags, it's going to go to Life Choice. Not one bit of it's going to Cheyenne Hills. It's all going to Life Choice. Give boldly. But I also want you to get this sheet of paper, and I want you to check a box boldly. Just to say, yeah, I, I prayed with accepting Christ today, or I recommitted my life today, or maybe you want some more questions answered. Maybe you fill this card. But put this card in that bag when it goes by. Because more than anything, I want you out of that cell. I want everybody to sense this freedom. I don't want anybody to believe the lies that Satan has for those that are still sitting in there. There's freedom on the outside of this thing. And I want you to be able to worship freely this Christmas season, the one born king. God bless you guys.